That was Perfect Day by RVG here on 106.9 Tune FM, where it's time for another episode of What the Art. Stay tuned. We'll be back with you right after the four o'clock news. Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of What the Art, where we delve into all the happenings in art and culture in New England and beyond. I'm Rachel Parsons, the Director of New England Regional Art Museum, and I really love talking about art, which is why I host this show. Um, I know I want to give a shout out to our growing number of listeners, some of who have been letting me know that you are listening and have been enjoying our content. Thanks for tuning in. And feel free to let me know if there are particular artists, people or subjects that you would like to appear on the show. You can reach out to Niram via Facebook or Instagram. Today I am talking to the multi-talented Mike Terry, who is still relatively newish to New England, um, but is certainly getting amongst it in the local art scene. Hi, Mike. Mike, and welcome to What the Art. Hi, thanks for having me. So uh, you have worked across journalism, arts and cultural management and education. You're a photographer, a videographer and a producer. You seem to very much embody the portfolio careers, career set that is highly sought after in our current art world. How did you come to work within the arts? And is your diverse skill set just something that happened along the way? Or do you think it's something necessary for those of us who are arts workers? Um, uh, yeah, in the in the current art world that we're in? Oh, that's a great question. I, I, I wish I was that clever to have sort of mapped it out well. If I would have, I probably would have done it a bit better. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my both my parents uh, worked creatively, um, not as their main jobs, but on the side. So I grew up kind of around art. My dad played music as a in the marine band um, as a sax player. My mom also played music and is a painter. So I got into art um, mostly through them and my older brother, who got me into photography when I was about sixteen. And then I just sort of had a love hate relationship with it and. Um, always said I wasn't going to do it because I, I knew that it was tough, uh, but it happened that that's really one of the only things I've done. And I think getting a start in photojournalism helped me just become a little bit more savvy about the way that media works. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, I did a, a master's in uh, visual and media anthropology, which was like a big sort of maybe over theoretical deep dive into media. And that also helped a bit. But I think throughout all of it, I've tried to stay really involved in the creation of media which is what I like probably the most and not get too bogged down by theoretical or business Mm -hmm. side of things. Yeah sure it's quite interesting because I think um, when you have conversations with with artists you know most of them are logical people and I think that um, uh, there's just something in you that drives you to be involved in the arts, even though it's a crazy industry to, to be involved in. As you say, it is tough. It can be really, really hard. But sometimes there's just that little spark in you that means that you have to get involved, regardless of your intentions to move elsewhere. Yeah, definitely. It's um, it's very much a compulsion that I've come to peace with. Yeah. Um, and the more you do it, you know, just like anything, the more it becomes the language that you speak, the lens mm. through which you sort of experience life. And I, before moving to Australia, I was working as a, um, like a visuals producer for a couple artists and working in that sort of art facilitation role also taught me quite a bit about just art in general yeah. um, in broad strokes. And mm. that was really, really helpful to sort of get the verbiage to explain 
why I do have that compulsion and what I can do with it. Yeah, sure. Speaking of which, so one of your more recent roles um, was as the online and visuals producer for German-born British composer and pianist Max Richter. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about what an online and visual producer does? Yeah, um, it's it's sort of a, a, I always liked the idea of being in a way a, a sort of visual uh, bodyguard in a way and, and media bodyguard in a way for an artist because an artist makes something that might not be visual but it needs to be marketed and promoted in, in visual capacities and they need someone there that stays true to their original mm. vision because among the stakeholders that they work with everybody has their own I don't want to say agenda because that sounds nefarious but they have their own needs and they aren't always able to represent an artist in the way that the artist would like to be. So because that was happening in a visual space and an online space, I guess we came up with that title. Yeah, fantastic. And you worked on some pretty impressive campaigns and projects within that role. Can you tell us about something you worked on during this time that you found particularly exciting or that you're really proud of? Yeah, it was um, it was quite a just a, st- a studio role. It wasn't really too much visual, but um, Max and his uh, creative partner Julian Marr, and partner in life, um, had the idea to outsource readings of the um, United Nations Declaration, Universal Declaration of Human Rights, to actually be incorporated into the music for his latest release. And he sort of told us what he wanted to do, and it was our job at the studio to find out how to do that outreach. And without getting into the nuts and bolts of it, we just had a really great response, had wonderful um, audio snippets come in from all over the world in different languages that now actually live in one shape or form on the record and were performed live as well. And because it, it, all of what both he and Yulia do, I've been able to get behind as an artist and as a human, I think. And, you know, it just makes being part of those kind of projects even more valuable and exciting, mm-hmm. yeah, meaningful. Fan- yeah, fantastic. Now, you recently-ish moved to Australia. Um, what brought you to Armadale? Ah, yeah, the uh, the old cliche. I, I met a, a woman from Urala. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've had it before. Yeah. We've had it before, yeah. sure. Yeah, I was, uh, I was living in Berlin, and I think she had done a Google search for the cheapest cities for artists to live in, and so she moved to Berlin, and we met about a year or two after she had moved there, and yeah, the rest is history. We always thought Australia was nice, or I thought it was nice, and the area was nice when we would come to visit, and um, time came where, you know, when you're living overseas, neither person is uh, surrounded by their family. You kind of had that discussion, well, one of us should be, and mm. um yeah, luckily I, I made it uh, in the midst of the craziness of COVID and we settled in Armadale. Fantastic. I love Berlin. It's one of my favorite cities in the world. And I know that you've spent a lot of your life living and working in Europe. Um, how do you find the cultural scene um, or how is the cultural scene in Australia different from that in, in Germany? Well, that's a, that's a really good question. I don't know if I can really even answer it um, without having to think. I mean, I, I guess I haven't had too much experience in the cultural scene in the bigger cities here. Sure. Um, I will say that just that emphasis on sort of art and exposure to culture as a as a valuable right 
uh, in Europe is something that I really responded to. Also in the way that s- space is used in cities. Mm-hmm. There's lots of s- public space to be around. And I think the tumult that Europe has been through over the past you know, centuries really feeds into that necessity of allowing these gardens, these castles, these palaces, these collections, this art to be accessible to the public. How that's translated here in, in Australia, I personally don't know, but I think we have a capacity to sniff each other out mm-hmm. and you meet the same kinds of people. You meet the same people dedicated to the arts like yourself and people in your team. Uh, regardless of where you are. Yeah, of course. And have you found the arts community in Armadale? Oh, yeah, I think so. I'm slowly getting to know people. Um, yeah, um, through meeting you and also working with Arts Northwest, I've I've really got to meet a lot of people. Um, it's an amazing town. There's mm-hmm. something for everybody. I mean, there's something happening all over the place, all kinds of different mediums and, and, and different practices. So I've been pleasantly surprised and encouraged by all the people that I've met. Yeah, I like to say that if you can't find something cultural to do in Armadale, you're really not looking. I think, you know, with Neerum and Nikom and the Armadale Art Gallery and, you know, there's a whole range of big and small operations and groups, you know, working. There is so much here, which is really fantastic and, as you say, encouraging to, Mm. you know, to be in that kind of, to be in that kind of space. Yeah, definitely. I think th- I think having the university here as well um, brings everything up a level in a way, just of people's yeah. practice and their their sort of um, yeah acumen, I, I guess. Absolutely, and I think that's been a really important part of Armadale's history. The university, as you know, the first uh, re- regional university in Australia, um, UNE, has um, really set yeah a certain tone for for Armadale, and that has led to um, a lot or a really strong cultural history as well. And so those two things go together, um, yeah, really, really well, and make it an exciting and interesting place to live. Definitely. Yeah. Um, So you have been pretty busy working on some interesting and exciting projects. Um, I was lucky enough to get to sit in on the final session of Arts Northwest's Looking Both Ways project, uh, which you were part of. Can you tell us a little bit about what was involved with this program? Yeah, there was the the Looking Both Ways project was pairing up visual artists with writers um, to work together to sort of didn't necessarily have to come up with something tangible, but to work on the process of collaboration mm-hmm. and see what happens. Um, and I was paired up with uh, a writer who's also a visual artist as well, so um, we got to work really quick. <laughs> yeah, it, it was really, really positive. Uh, I think the biggest takeaway for me was just, again, having getting out of your own sort of feedback loop in your head. It's amazing how much you can think about your own work and remain in the same patterns of mm-hmm. thought. And just a few things that uh, Trish was the woman that I was working with mentioned just completely unlocked a whole nother way of s- not only thinking about my work, but also speaking about it as well. So that yeah. was great. Collaboration can be really challenging for artists. I mean, a lot of visual artists um, and writers and musicians um, spend a lot of time working alone. Mm-hmm. How do you open yourself up to the possibility of collaboration? Uh, yeah, I think that is... That's tricky. I mean, for me, I just have to s- sort of remind myself that it is going to be worth it. Mm. You know, that, um, yeah, that there there is an outcome that I can't get 
by myself and just trust the, the process in a way and see where it goes without trying to control things too much. If you ask my partner, she'd probably be like, well, I don't know. He seemed pretty controlling. The honest um, um, sort of thought process going on in my mind. Yeah. Um, and I guess an interesting part of this project was that the idea was to match people up who worked in different media. So visual artists with writers. Is there a particular... Uh, consideration when working with someone across medium that might be something that you're actually quite used to given the fact that you've worked with um, you know a bunch of artists in a range of professional capacities yeah I guess I don't know how it would have played out if if well we're still working on it so I guess we'll see but it is an interesting (laughs) speaking of control an interesting thing where you assert yourself and where you mm-hmm. say, okay, I, I love these suggestions, but this is the portion that I want to care about. Mm-hmm. You know, h- how do you do that in a way where you have the confidence to say it, also open yourself up for them to counter it and say, well, I think you're wrong, you know, or not only open yourself up to that, but also um, be responsive to when they mark the same boundaries of r- around what's important to them. So that was on my mind a lot, Mm. um, how to successfully do that. Um, I think structure always helps, sort of having a a structure in place. People have certain jobs. doesn't mean that they're going to have to stay that way, but having something to argue about to say, you know what, I don't think we should be so segmented or something like that Mm. is really helpful in in collaboration. Yeah, fantastic. Maybe not all the time, but Yeah. yeah. Sure. All right, we're going to take a little break for a song. On uh, last Friday night, we had a fantastic opening of Art Express and War and Peace, and we had this beautiful performance by a local performer, Lily Scales, um, who's just finished her HSC last year and um, got an encore for for music, which is really exciting. And so um, in response to to her, we're going to play the same song that she um, performed on the night. So this is The End of the World by Billie Eilish. Again. Mm-hmm. 
back with what the art and I am still talking to Mike Terry um, and I want to keep talking about the Looking Both Ways project. Um, so I saw the collages that you made um, and so for those of you who haven't seen them I'll try and put an image up on the um, website but they are I guess houses upon houses um, and they are quite whimsical but there's also a really formal quality co to this composition. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got to, to these collages and, and what you've been what you've been doing with them yeah I've been keeping a journal since I was a kid and uh, eventually that journal just started becoming more and more full of images especially once the analog digital switch kind of happened mm -hmm. in my career I wanted to print out more and more images so I started keeping these notebooks and making collages and then eventually you know they sort of kind of came out of the books and became pieces unto themselves of things that I was curious about and uh, overarching theme of a lot of, of this series was just the way that we perceive place and how we we attach ourselves to it and how you know uh, to represent that is to represent a lot of different views over time of a place mm -hmm. so I just started sort of enjoying putting these things together I really like architecture as well you know mm -hmm. and just I like buildings and, and the way that they have an effect on us so yeah just um, it's, it's kind of grown bit bit by bit and I decided to do this, Trish and I decided to work on this for the uh, Arts Northwest project because I already had a, a little bit of a germ uh, seed germinating of an idea um, to do this with some of the buildings here in Armadale, which mm -hmm. I'm just totally fascinated with and smitten by. It's because they're new and different. And, mm -hmm. and, and uh, yeah, so we thought, how do you show the process of, of becoming attached to a place you know, um, so I started sort of pushing the buildings together because we're often from more than 
more than one place, mm-hmm. putting them in, in different layers. And there's some ideas to um, add some sort of text bubbles to um, the landscape that we've created out of these uh, buildings and have them sort of multiply over time by using plastic overlays. Yeah, and that, that was the big moment or the big thing that helped me from that whole experience was thinking of how you can introduce temporality to something two-dimensional. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, fantastic. I loved the fact that, um, you know, so by combining all these houses together, they become really um idiosyncratic kind of structures and then the storytelling part that that Trish came um, to the project with about you know the conversations that were happening in these you know super weird houses really um, was was really kind of beautiful you know whimsicals in some points sad because I think she had a sort of a fixation on the loneliness of, mm-hmm. of some of these spaces um, and in the the project there was the invitation to uh, write a little quip that could be used in the project and I must admit all I could think about was the fact that when I'm at home most of my conversations are with my dog um they're great conversations (laughs) they're really really great um so this this project was um you know something facilitated by Arts Northwest um, it had, you know, a couple of sessions with the idea to make this outcome. Uh, but you you did say that you're continuing with the project. You will finish the, the yeah. work in some way. Yeah, very much so. I, I've, I'm a big fan of um, being sort of given a deadline and, and getting that structure to, to make something. And I think we're off to a good start, so it should be nice. I think what started us or helped was when we first sat down and we started talking about our relationship to place and both of us had a really similar experience or experiences of seeing things like planes or cityscapes and just thinking of I wonder what is going on at all those dinner tables mm. all those lights that are represented you know that means that, that that's a life that's a family that's a tragedy that's a success that's yeah. a good day bad day you know so we yeah, fantastic. And I, a good start. And I guess there's that very personal, but also we, uh, I would imagine quite universal experiences in yeah. those places as well. Um, so you are not just doing one project. Um, you're currently working on another unique, unique project as one of Arts Northwest's museum creatives, which involves a kind of residency at the Hillgrove Museum. So can you tell us about this project? Yeah, um, this is a project. Uh, Arts Northwest put out um, asking for proposals, and the idea was for people to work with the existing collections at some of these smaller regional museums. And a a large project that I worked on back in Germany was a two-year photography project on the way that people get attached to politically or culturally significant buildings Mm -hmm. and how those relationships and perceptions change over time. Um, and the more that I looked at the c- photography collection at Hillgrove, the more I thought, oh, this is, ca- this is perfect. This would be a really good opportunity to get back into another project where photography is, it's, a, it's an end in itself, but it's also the research method. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hillgrove's great because they've got this unique collection that's sort of born of a lot of just perfectly timed things. Photography was becoming more popular and a lot of photographers were coming to the New England to photograph the gorges and because Hillgrove was a a boom town at the time Mm -hmm. they would set up shops uh, in uh, like sort of pop our equivalent of pop-up stores um, to get their portraits or to offer portraits to the town and so there was a lot of photographers coming through the area there was industry with a lot of money to pay for good photography of the industry Mm -hmm. going on there 
and uh, one of the school teachers there at the school, um, uh, Henry Tonkin, just was also enamored with photography and got into it, started teaching at the Literary Institute, recognized its potential for education. And um, yeah, all these things together just resulted in this great collection of a very small town now at its height. And so the idea is to work with that collection and find a way to breathe new life into it and recontextualize it with contemporary photography. Okay, so the idea is you're looking at the existing collection of photography and then you are working within that space, taking new photographs and you're creating diptychs um, that, yeah, look at that history but also look at where the town is now. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, I... chose working in that format because you know when we think about film every every frame every sort of collision of montage is anticipatory it's going forward where photography is very fixed and we're we're looking backwards Mm -hmm. Um, and I think diptychs they they kind of exist in that space in between in a way where you're you're still fixed but you're looking forwards and you're looking backwards and I think that's that's perfect for this project Um, um so what kind of imagery are you working with from the collection and what kind of photos are you taking? Yeah, that's a good question. There's a lot of mining uh, photos, a lot of epic mustaches and, <laughs> and, and dirty shirts and great equipment, um, th- wonderful photos of, of that kind of stuff. But there's a lot, also a lot of great stuff, um, which is what interests me the most, that depicts that influence of mining on... Um, on, on the adjacent civic life. Mm-hmm. Um, there were lots of bands in town and, and sports teams and things like that, uh, cultural organizations, lots of picnics and shooting clubs and things like that, um, as well as some beautiful photos uh, from the first Chinese family in town oh, as fantastic. well. Yeah. And it's been interesting to look at even the different ways that these photographs are made. You know, you can sometimes see what it's, what's important to a certain group of people through the way that they photograph themselves sort of, you know, visual anthropology style. Um, So working with all of these photos, I'm trying to not necessarily say, oh, it was so big, this town, and now it's so small, but Mm -hmm. rather show that enduring life that happens in a community through boom and bust uh, cycles. Yeah, fantastic. And so for those who have never been to Hillgrove, where is it and when can we come visit? Yeah, yeah. It's just on the way to uh, Ybor from Marmadale. Um, It's only about 25 minutes outside of town. And the museum's open Friday to Monday Mm -hmm. each weekend. And definitely go in and check it out. It's a great museum, not just the photography, but all kinds of other stuff in the museum. It's a great collection. Uh, The volunteers do a fantastic, fantastic job there. and they've also resumed uh, gold mining there oh, as well just in the past year. So that adds another sort of contemporary angle to to the project. Yeah, great. And will we be able to see your work? Is there going to be some kind of public exhibition? I hope so, yeah. that That's the plan. We're not exactly sure how it'll get paid for <laughs> or, or, <laughs> sure. or how, how it'll all work the out. The arts, it's always the <laughs> yeah, <money> question. But, um, <laughs> I feel really good about it, and uh, especially working with uh, Bronwyn Clark, who's the, um, in charge of all the volunteers and sort of the main director, curator there. She's We get on really well, and we mm. kind of speak the same language, I think. So I think I'm in good hands to, to realize a, a, an exhibition at the end. Maybe an exhibition, also a little bit of uh, some sort of talk or workshop on, on using photography as a research method. 
Yeah, well. fantastic. Thank you so much for talking to us today, Mike, and telling us about all the things you've been working on. <laughs> yeah, my uh, pleasure. I look forward to, yeah, seeing some of the outcomes. Sounds like it's going to be fun. Me too. Thanks. <laughs> uh, so that is all we have for What's the Art today. Um, a couple of arty things that are coming up. This Saturday, 1st of May, the Museum of Printing is turning 20 years old. And to celebrate, the Black Gully printmakers are opening the museum and giving print demonstrations. I also believe there's going to be cake. So that should be worth it. Um, on Thursday, May 6, we are screening Luby, a documentary about somewhat controversial artist Keith Luby. He was an Archibald winner, but you may not have heard of him. And for our final courtyard session, which will be held on May 9th, um, it will feature the vampires. And we know it is cold, so we'll be moving this one inside. Tickets and information are available from niram.com.au. You've been listening to What the Art. I'm Rachel Parsons, and I will see you soon at Niram. Um, and some of you may know that Tim Friedman of the Whitlams is playing two gigs at the Hinton Gallery at Neerham this Saturday. Tickets are all sold out, I'm afraid, but if you missed out, here is Blow Up the Pokies by the Whitlams. There was the stage Two red lights and a dodgy PA You trod the planks way back then and it's strange that you're here again, here again And I wish I, wish I knew the right words To make you feel better Walk out of this place And defeat them in your secret battle Show them you can be your own man again To little victories take on the pain It takes so long to earn You can double up or you can burn You can burn And I wish I, wish I knew the right words To make you feel better Walk out of this place And defeat them in your secret Show them you can be your own man again Show them
trains run on time. 